0: Guys, if you're anything like me, looking at maps has always been a huge part of my preparation and execution for my outdoor adventures. I have been using GoHunt digital maps on desktop and mobile for quite some time now. I have used these maps for years for my in-depth e-scouting tactics and my methods of using offline maps during the hunt. Well, now I'm happy to report GoHunt maps now covers all 50 states. There's two ways to Get the Go Hunt map. You can sign up for a Go Hunt Insider membership and get the benefits of all the draw odds, harvest statistics, unit breakdowns, strategy articles, as well as access to the 50 state maps, plus savings on gear for being an insider member. Like right now, they're doing double points. For an insider membership, sign up now at gohunt.com, use the JScott promo code and get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card just for signing up. You can also just sign up for a GoHunt Explorer membership and that gives you access to 50 states for 50 bucks. Use the J Scott promo code. Guys, also don't forget to get a 10% discount on gear at the Go Hunt Gear Shop by using the J Scott promo code. You can also reach out to my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years either by phone or by text. 602 399 3699. Make sure you tell them I sent you. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their loyal sponsorship of my podcast. We're over 815 episodes in and they've been with me since the beginning. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. They provide the gear that I use on all of my hunting adventures. You can go to the Kuyu website directly, kuiu.com, order directly. They're a direct-to-consumer company. Uh, they make the best gear in the in the hunting industry, and I've mm-hmm. been a loyal supporter of theirs for years. Also, Phonescope.com. Go to Phonescope.com. Use the J Scott or jscott22 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount at Scope. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for, for supporting me. If you have any questions or you'd like to send me a comment, the best way to do that is on my Instagram account at Outdoors. Again, let's get right to this episode, and thanks for your support.
1: Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. This is your guest host, Cliff Gray. I've been a guest of Jay's many times over the years, and I would consider him a great friend, so I really appreciate the opportunity he has given me to interview some folks on his platform. Colorado rifle seasons are just a week away, guys, so I wanted to get a few guests on that are close to the action and that could help listeners make the most of their upcoming hunts out in Colorado. In this episode, we are going to cover an update on conditions in Colorado right now. Hopefully we're gonna to touch on you know some last minute advice that's gonna help you guys. We'll talk a little bit how September went, but mostly my hope is that we're gonna focus on rifle elk and deer hunts that are gonna come up over the next couple months. Today I have on Jimmy Oswald and Evan Coster, their operating manager and head guide at Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. I no longer own Flat Tops Wilderness Guides or or really, am I involved in it? But uh, let's see, guys, what was it like? You guys both worked for me what five or six years each?
2: Yeah, I was at um, I was at six years, I think, Cliff, and then Evan. Yeah, you I, were a year before. Yeah, I think this is my
3: eighth season. Wow! So uh,
1: yeah, time flies. So these guys worked for me for for a bunch of years. But uh, anyways, uh, as a brief introduction, these guys both guided dozens of hunts for me in all sorts of conditions. And in terms of time in the field, you know, chasing game, that's really been hunted hard. We're talking, you know, we're talking wilderness elk that have been hunted as hard as any elk probably on this planet. These guys are about as tuned up as it gets. So I really think you guys are going to be really helpful for folks that are coming out to Colorado to hunt. Similarly, hunted, you know, elk and deer. But uh, anyways, guys, they're both way better elk hunter and deer hunters than me. And I'd consider them both great friends. So Jimmy and Evan, welcome to the po- podcast. This is going to be a good time, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. So guys, just as a brief uh, intro to the listeners, I'm just going to give you guys a second just to introduce yourself. And then after we do that, we can talk about your guys' business and what you've got going. And then we'll just jump, uh, jump right into to uh some some stuff that I think will be really useful to to all the listeners. So, Evan, go for it, man. The Colorado Native, give us a give us the background.
3: Yeah, uh Evan Coster, head guide, uh Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Uh been with the outfit uh for many years as you, as you touched upon. Um my uh for sure my passion is is elk hunting. Um and specifically archery elk hunting. Um uh I uh I grew up here locally. Um this is I, I, I like to tell guys I get to guide my mountain, uh the the mountain that I grew up beneath. Um and uh and that's a dream come true for me. Good deal. Jimmy go for it. The transport. Yeah, Jimmy
2: Oswald. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Oswald, um <laughs> manager of uh of LKS Outfitters and LKS Outfitters is the um like the parent company of of uh, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. And um, just recently, Horn Fort Guides, uh, originally from Pennsylvania. Went to Penn State, got a degree in wildlife and fishery science. Never really used it much. Um, just kind of fell into a bunch of, of hunting fields. Um, worked in Texas and then a little bit back in Pennsylvania for the state. Uh, worked in Alaska doing some fisheries. Stuff, and then um, came and worked for you, Cliff, back in 2016,
1: and haven't left since. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's been it's been that uh, that long. I I kind of reflect on that. Like you know now, now that I don't operate the business, it's pretty rare for guys to actually guide that long in the same area. You know, in the wilderness. You know, horse based deal for that long period of time. You guys are getting too old for it, probably. I know. I know. I was, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, you guys have a ton of, of knowledge built up over the years. And what's cool is I think both of you guys probably have a different perspective on it. You know, Evan, you growing up there, uh, really specific. And we'll get into some some details on this, like your thoughts on it. But you've really hunted, you know, uh, a, a specific area a lot in your life, and you've focused on a specific species, which is which is awesome. So that's one perspective. And I think Jimmy, you bring another perspective talking to you in the past. I mean, you spent a lot of time hunting as a kid, but you know, coming out West and becoming proficient at that is really like a, the last six or seven year thing for you. Right.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, There's a, it's a huge learning curve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll chat on that. I think both you guys are going to have a pretty cool perspective on it. So I was just going to hit real briefly, uh, on, on September. And, uh, the biggest thing that's uh, a curiosity to me and I had a couple buddies hit me up about it, you know, in the in the flat tops and guys hunting the Vail Valley and other parts of Colorado, and it sounds like the conditions like the spring conditions or just the vegetation conditions were quite a bit different and it seemed to affect the bear hunting, huh? Uh go ahead and yeah, and Jimmy uh I'll <laughs> and just so the listeners no, I'm gonna to try to direct these questions at one of these guys so we don't get to talking over it. So, Jimmy, give me your perspective on that. Like, what was going on with the bear hunting in Colorado?
3: Yeah,
2: so I mean the the bear hunting was was extremely um, rough um, when when you compare it to, to the the past several years um, and. You know, if, if you just looked at precipitation and, and beautiful weather, um, you know, you would have thought everything was going to line up perfectly. But I think it was June 16th or June 18th, we had a, um, a pretty good freeze and, and that wiped out, um, a lot of those blossoms on the oak brush, on the choke cherry, um, and, and really wiped out all that, that food, uh, that fall food source. So, you know, we were, we were hunting, um, and really just like, it seemed to be just southeast facing slopes that had very few, um, cherry on it, uh, and absolutely zero, zero acorns. And I was kind of joking around with the guys. I said, I'd give anyone 50 bucks if they could find me an acorn from this year. Um, and, uh, and they found one in, in a month of hunting. So, you know, basically zero acorns, um, very few choke cherry, so the bears were just dispersed across the landscape instead of being concentrated on these food sources. And then it seemed that they were just, you know, mainly eating grass, um, which you know, as you know, Cliff, in, in this area of the flat tops, um, is is really from from 7,000 feet all the way up to 11,000 feet. So um, there wasn't a high high density of bears. Um, where they typically were
1: yeah and that i mean that makes the hunting really really difficult with them. i mean it's one thing it's one thing if you have like two food food sources going off like you can bounce between acorns and choke cherry or something like that and then there's they're dispersed i mean ideally there's just like acorns are are going like crazy right and then you can just go hunt stuff that has the best acorns and you know you're going to get a bear concentration there um, and if there's multiple food sources, they're a little more dispersed, but if there's none, then they're super dispersed. Sounds like that was basically the situation, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, and I mean,
2: it, it was, and you know, as, you know, it wasn't like it's, I'm probably making it seem more abysmal than what it actually was. Um, and we still sh- saw bears, still shot bears, um, then, sure. uh, missed a few bears, but, um, you just had to hunt a little bit harder for
1: them. It sounds like.
2: Yeah, it was. It wasn't quite like the the gentleman hunt um, or gentleman hunt that it that it historically normally is, where you go out and um, you kind of you, you take it super easy, and um, you can you can see several bears every every sit.
1: It, you actually had to work for him this year. Yeah, I had to grind him out. Evan, was it the same, uh, so, so Evan's family has, has some, some property and he lives in a little bit lower elevation and he spent some time down there. Was it the same down there, Evan, like at the lower elevations? I'll
3: I'll tell you what, there was way more bears down on the river corridor and, and down in town, um, places where you don't see bears, um, than I'd seen before. And uh, again, I think it's just that lack of, lack of, um. Uh, concentration, you know what i mean? They they just had spread out to some new stuff. Yeah, yeah, they just go. They're 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 really I mean even more so
1: than other game animals. I I it's just my theory and you guys can chime in on it, but I my thought is that they move around way more than people think. You know, like that they'll like a a bear that's living, you know, that's summer and wandering around the top of the flat tops like, you know, he could in the fall, he might end up twenty miles away in some little town. You know what I mean? If yeah, he's got, sure. if he's got a scrounge around looking for for food, it's. I, I think you know. Just my thought on it is, I, I think people underestimate them that way because you don't you don't see them like moving right. Like we all, when when mule deer essentially migrate, it's real noticeable. <laughs> you know what I mean? You see them. You see coming. They start hitting the sagebrush. They get in the oakbrush, and then the sagebrush, and then they, you know, they're down low in the winter range. You don't see bears like move around. They just pop up. You know. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, interesting, uh, we we, but, we
3: had some interesting conversations on, um, y- you know, a year a year such as this one where where a food source doesn't come in. Uh, how do the bears? <laughs> know that communicate that i mean it's obviously just because they've they've rambled through there in the night at some point um but but like you said you you don't see that happen uh the the bears just aren't there you know
1: yeah yeah they just they're not there and they pop up somewhere else and it's uh they're interesting interesting animals that way but super fun to hunt i actually you know we we started to hunt them quite a bit the end of uh, my time outfitting there and uh they're fun hunts i think we had some good times hunting them so there's there's no lack of them It's just it's just that condition thing i'm, I'm sure is affect the, affects the hunting a little bit year to year but uh evan on uh, on september you know i got some questions that are really and these are going to be more from a do-it-yourself hunter's perspective on on yeah. archery elk and, uh, I'm going to put you on the, uh, on the, uh, throw you in the frying pan here, Evan, how many, <laughs> how many elk have you killed with a bow in the last
3: five years? Oh man. <laughs> uh, I believe four in the past five years. Ah, uh, nice. So then these are all
1: in, in how many of those were in dry units? Uh, none. <laughs> so I knew, I knew I'd have to dry out of you that way because you're a humble guy. <laughs> But we're talking, you know, just so the listeners know, we're talking, you know, units that are like 10, 12% success rate if they are that in archery. So I was going to just pick Evan's uh, brain again. I know you killed the bull this year. I saw the the picture. And, uh, you know, one thing, it's funny, Evan, because you didn't do, you know, you've always done some of your own personal hunting during archery season uh, every year. And that was always part of our deal. Like you didn't, you didn't guide uh, all of September because you dedicated that to some of your own do-it-yourself hunts. And so I just wanted to kind of pick your, pick your brain. Like one thing you could maybe, you know, give a little insight on how this year was uh, elk wise uh, in your own personal hunts, um, if it was different than previous years or not. And then I'm going to pry out some tips for guys that are trying to replicate what you've been able to do over the last few years. So so how was it this year?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, conditions-wise, um, we, we had a cool, wet summer, one that was like desperately needed, really. Um, it's great for elk, but uh, you and I have talked about it in the past, Cliff, I think it, it also disperses elk. Um, when When habitat conditions are good everywhere, elk can live anywhere, right? um sure and uh i'd say that was probably the case this year um elk were kind of at all elevations um uh uh in terms of like uh my tactics and stuff uh i've i've evolved a lot over the years um i've, I've changed the way that i'm hunting elk um and uh a, a lot of that has gone to just locating elk first right before stepping in the woods um taking taking three days and and glassing um from big knobs and stuff and, and finding a group of rutting elk and then going in there and hunting them um i i used to kind of run around with a bugle tube and try to find them that way and i i had some success doing it um but uh o- over the years i've gone more and more to my glass right and, and then and then finding
1: finding elk and then working from there not a not yeah, a lot of yeah. a lot of like wandering around the woods and and hope right. in type of deal. Yeah, right. so I, I, I get it. It's really interesting, man, because I, uh, just like a week and a half ago, I was actually hunting in Idaho uh, with a buddy, and it was very much like an exploratory hunt. Um, but the same deal, it was interesting, man. It had like a lot of um, parallels to the flat tops in terms of the, the elk dynamic. And what was interesting, and I want to get your opinion on it, Evan, is we would locate elk um, – In some situations to be just a little bull with four or five cows. We'd locate elk and then it was it was this area was like a logistical nightmare, honestly. You would locate elk and then it would take like a day and a half to get over there and you had to raft across a river. It was it was fun, (laughs) but it was it was not like easy to get around. But anyways, what's interesting, we'd find elk in these tight little basins, you know should be peak of the rut type of, type of timing, you know, the last week of September. And we'd get in there and I mean, we'd get in within four or 500 yards of these elk and still the vocalizations were super minimal. Like, I mean, just, just, I mean, in situations where we, you know, we weren't even going to try to kill a bull, we would just try to get one to bugle. And it was hard to get one to bugle. Even, even once we had them located and gotten there close and and I'm going to give you my, my kind of thoughts on it. They're not going to be at the level of experience that yours are based on. But to me, it seems like when you get in areas where the density of bulls is lower, it doesn't really matter the time of the month. The vocalizations are just less. Do you, do you agree with that? You have a different
3: theory? What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um... Boy, on <laughs> J- Jimmy and I had a funny conversation the other day about a, a certain drainage that we hunt where we know there's elk, but there's not a whole lot of bugling, right? And then you can drop, you can go two drainages to the east, and um, there's the same number of elk, but they bugle their heads off. Um, uh, surely, surely it has to be related to hunting pressure, in, my, in, in that instance. Oh, okay. Um, I um uh, I mean I, I, I don't know to tell you the truth, Cliff, and that's the yeah cool I don't thing about, yeah I don't um, I don't I don't I don't either. It's like it's a great it's a it's a huge. It's the advantage cool thing about elk hunting, right? Is you don't ever really have it figured out, um completely. Uh, <clears throat> I I I think um I think most bulls most bulls that have a group of cows, uh, regardless of the age class of the bull um will vocalize right if you get inside of a certain it, it, it's more about proximity right if you're inside of a certain um say say you're within 400 yards of him a bull with cows is going to bugle you know what i mean Yeah, During, sure. um doesn't matter if that's the second week or the fourth week um uh he's he's game game is on for him as soon as he has those cows in my opinion
1: yeah like he he's not going to like, if you can get into that zone, you're going to get... If you can get into field. that
3: bubble, yeah. He's, he yep. might not bugle from across the canyon, right? But yeah. um, if if you slip in there while they're bedded and, and you're within 200 yards and you shriek at him, he's going to shriek back if he has cows of his own.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I guess the, the follow-on question to that is, like, what's your personal thought on if you, when you're archery hunting, if you can get a bull to talk back to you in that situation do you really care Evan? or do you just is your thought is uh i if i can spot and stock kill them all do it that way um or you know is
3: it always a calling set up for you man i love the calling just for the experience of it right sure. it's just so freaking cool to hear them. <laughs> yeah 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 i get that. um uh um but uh I I don't know. Like thinking about my my own tactics, I don't know how much I'm actually calling bulls in, or or whether I'm actually just using the sound of that bugling to to get myself in position. You know what I mean? Um, right. Especially especially back to that herd bull thing, uh, a bull that has his own cows. Um, it, it's incredibly hard to just call him off of that. Um, and I think they're using, they're using bugles more as just a, um, an announcement than, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know that you're going to pull a bull out of that, uh, pull him out of a, a, uh, uh, a real, a real creamy situation for him. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, he's he's I,
3: comfortable. I think he's comfortable. He's happy. He's just announcing that, Hey, these are my cows. Um, and, and I think more often than not, I'm using the sound of that bugle as a, as a beacon, um, to be able to place myself in archery range or, or, or close to archery range and then letting, letting the bull kind of wander and make a mistake. Yeah. Um, very rarely am I, am I calling a bull several hundred yards to my location? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I, and my, actually, I think that's where got, a lot of guys go wrong with the calling is they have this assumption that um, once once I get him talking back to me, by God, I've got the hooks in him; he's coming. Um, it, it's really not the case. You, you need to be thinking more in terms of like intercepting um, and uh, and and using using his voice to direct you to a place where where you're going to have good shooting. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're using. You're using the fact that he's bugle is is giving him a disadvantage. Now you know exactly where he is. Yeah, that he's just
3: giving himself up, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think,
3: and no doubt, no doubt, like great callers can 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 get subtle movements out of bulls, um, but it, it just isn't this like 360 degree. Um, you're not going to spin a bull around and pull him to you. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think.
1: I actually think that goes for a lot of, not to, not to get off the topic of elk, but I think that anybody who's into, you know, manipulating animals with vocalizations, you know, du- you know ducks, geese, uh, turkeys, or elk, I think it's always like that, Evan. That's my thought. Evan. For sure. Like, for I sure. mean, if you, if you yeah. want to see like a world, like this guy, like that, that guy is like an epic duck hunter. And, you know, you watch his videos. It's usually because he's already in the pond that they're gonna land in. You know <laughs> totally. what I mean? <laughs> so, I think you're right. Totally. That that's very much the case. Uh, and
3: that me. that feed chuckle is just uh, just flair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just a little panache.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I think I think like you say, there's a lot you can you can get from it. But I think you you nailed it, man. That a lot of, like the idea of calling an elk. You know, from he's on that hillside that's 500 yards away, and you're going to do a call-in call setup and have him come all the way over is for the most part a a, a pipe dream. And, and I, I, I don't mean it like in a derogatory way that, that people are trying that. I think it's good for people to know that most bulls in calling setups are not killed that way. Would you kind of agree yeah, with that?
3: Senator? Yeah, for sure. And, and just to be ultra aggressive in, in, um, uh, if, if you're scared of uh, Jimmy and I have, have archery hunted elk together. And, uh, I think he was kind of blown away at how, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not worried about, about motion and stuff in a calling. So like like, like you, you need to walk to where you need to be, you know what I mean? Um, and you can get away with a lot, uh, in terms of, in terms of like movement and that kind of thing, as long as you got the wind. Um, you need to you need to get yourself there in position for a shot, and I, I think too many guys as soon as they get one, as soon as they get one talking, um, they they pat themselves on the back and then um, and then sit down and wait for him to come, and, and it just isn't going to happen. You need to go make make opportunities for yourself. Uh, yeah, and it and takes a little bit of like takes takes a little bit of guts, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: sure. Proxy like getting proximity getting, getting and close, close
3: and, yeah yeah yeah
1: no i i hear it. i wonder evan you know i and i'll be honest with you i don't know um and and you've hunted these type of elk also uh most your life um i don't know that it's if it's is it if you're hunting the place where the density of bulls is way higher is this dynamic Different, Right. And and I always wonder that when I, when I talk to people who are hunting, you know, really, you know, really hard to draw tags in Arizona or, you know, other parts of Colorado, Colorado, where they're burning 20 points on archery tag or something. Are they, you know, are those areas different because these bulls, yeah, a bull might have some cows, but he's always got, you know, nine satellite bulls harassing him. Right. And some of those satellite right. bowls are big yeah. too. like, like a guy like me and you, or yeah, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. A guy like me would shoot the, shoot any of the satellite bulls around these, these, bulls. you know what I mean? So it's like, right. you know, yeah. so I think a lot, some of the times, like when, when we see, um, you know, when we, when we see videos or whatever of, of guys in these, these other types of areas where the elk are managed a little bit different or just, just the dynamic is different. Um, they're actually killing satellite bulls that are as big as our herd bulls. So there's this perception that those elk are like, you know, a little bit easier to manipulate with calls and maybe it has to do with that a little bit.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. I know, you know, thinking on my, my personal experiences, the most epic, like, you know, kind of calling sessions I've had are, are when you stumble upon that, um, you know that rut fest where there's there's five or six bulls bugling, um, and uh, it, as you know, that's like an anomaly in our in our unit here. Um, it, so yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's that those inf- bulls would be easier to call. Sure. Do
1: you do you have? This is more like a, 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 I guess a a deeper question. Do you have an urge to just continue to perfecting? You know your archery hunting in these harder you know over-the-counter mountain units or you know are you looking forward to someday like hunting you know draw units or areas with denser elk like what are your what are your thoughts on that
3: yeah no man it's funny right because uh, and maybe my my goals are are way out of whack i don't know but uh i enjoy the challenge of it more than yeah, anything, you're a right? masochist. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and that's like to me that's what makes elk hunting special is it's 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 damn hard um and and to have some level of success at it means you've you've worked really hard um so no i i man i enjoy hunting my backyard and i i probably will every year until i draw that one tag
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, I I get it, man. I I totally understand that. I always kind of kind of got that from you that that you enjoyed perfecting that. And it's yeah, you know, I mean it's yeah, you know, I mean huge props to you, Evan. It's a huge accomplishment. I I mean every few days I talk to guys that have hunted. You know, they're they're they just got into archery hunting like three or four years ago. They've been grinding at it. You know, they spend nine months a year thinking about it and preparing and all of that you know, and they're in their fifth, sixth, seventh year, and they haven't killed one yet. And my, my reaction first is like, honestly, that's the norm. It's more common than not. And then, and then it seems like, um, you know, it once people start to figure it out, they, and they, if they keep at it, they just progressively will get better at it. And then eventually, you know, they get where, you know, they, they get close to a success rate, like, like yours. but I mean, you're, you know, you're basically like seven, eight times the average per, you know, success rate in an area. And that's that's pretty, pretty astonishing. And that's that variability is, is common in, in a lot of these areas. You know, there's a there's a segment of guys that are that are doing most of the harvesting. And uh, it's just like, a, it's like a lifelong goal almost, you know, um yeah we'll we'll jump to another topic man but before we jump off of this because i think a lot of the listeners to to jay's podcast are going to find this interesting um i mean if a guy came to you and he's like i've been hunting for two or three years i haven't had a lot of success like what would be your what would be like your you know one or two things you tell him to focus on
3: man i i think a lo- and, and i kind of hit on that earlier i think where a lot of guys go wrong is they 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 pick a spot where they want to kill an elk, right? (laughs) Like they've scouted an area that looks good. That looks like it's away from the roads. that looks like it's quality habitat. And, and they, they go on a big backpacking mission and they stick them, they insert themselves there hoping to find an elk. Um, you're, you're far better off. I mean, shoot, you're far better off in the pickup truck running around looking for elk first and then going there. Right. Like, like, yeah, sure. Uh, don't come out west. Um, don't come out west um, uh, with, a, with a plan already in place. Come out and look for elk, right? And, and once you've found elk, go there and hunt them. I know that sounds really elementary and, and kind of dumbed down, uh, but it's huge. If, if you can find them first and then go there, um, you're, you're going to have a lot more success. Uh, and I, I do that with my glass. Um, yeah. I mean, I really, I, so a, a guy would almost be better off in his e-scouting instead of looking for, for elk habitat or looking for places that are away from the road. Uh, a guy might be better off looking at big knobs on, 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 uh, on his mapping applications, you know, on, on places that'll let you see a lot of good country, um, <clears throat> go there and spend your first couple days, days. And, and when you found elk, um, then you can make that big back country move, you know, to, to get there and be in them. Um, but I, I think a lot of guys just handcuff themselves to a drainage or to a basin or, um, and, uh, and there aren't elk there. The, the density of elk, you know, compared to guys that are coming from Missouri or, or, um, or Illinois or somewhere where they're, where, you know, the Midwest where they're used to white tail densities, they're going to be shocked when they come out West, um, it isn't uh it isn't the Serengeti i mean the, the density of our game is is um is quite a bit less it's a big landscape um and and you really need to be uh um y- y- there's a lot more country that doesn't hold elk than does right yeah um so so narrowing that down that's that's my that's my biggest that's my biggest tip narrowing that down uh making sure that you're hunting elk and not country you know um, uh, it, it's, it's probably my biggest tip. And then just like, um, being, 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 uh, hyper relentless, like just, um, kind of a no give up sort of attitude. Um, uh, Jimmy, I'm going to throw you under the bus real quick. Yeah.
2: I I knew you. you right. ready? I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're going to say.
3: <laughs> uh, Jimmy and I hunted, hunted together during archery a little bit last year. And, uh, there was a moment. So we located it. We, we'd located kind of a, a rutting group of elk. And as, as they often do, as, as they move towards their bedding area, they, they move miles. Um, and, and they do it at a speed that you and I can't walk. Um, so this, this bull was just, you know, he's bugling back to us, but he's, he's further and further and further over the ridge. And we chased and chased and chased. And at, at, 10 or 11 a.m. when we're all out of gas, he bugles one more time and he's, he's over, he's over an even more distant ridge. And we slumped down and sat on the ground and I looked at Jimmy and he was pretty dejected. Um, and he looked at me and said, well, like, ah, what are we going to do now? Or I, I think he said, what, what, what would you do right now? And I told him I'd already be halfway over there. Like, <laughs> like the fact that we're, we're even talking about it. Um, y- y- uh, anyways, Jimmy got up off his butt. Uh, we ran over there and, uh, he killed a bull an hour later. Right. Um, yeah. The like, just not quitting, not quitting. Um, is, uh, is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, it's
1: funny, Evan. Cause like your first point about glassing and your second point, you know, the things that I repeat to guys all the time and not even in the archery context, man, like literally all hunts, like or or all the hunts that we, that we, we did, we did there and we were exposed to like bear hunting, mule deer hunting, you know, uh, rifle elk, archery elk. I'm always like, Try to find good glassing spots, you know, where you can see that sort of thing. And guys would be like, "Well, I'm archery hunting." I'm like, "Yep, try to find good glassing spots." Well, I'm bear hunting. Yeah, try to find good glassing spots. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's really easy. I mean, it's, it's weird because it's, it's odd
3: advice, but it, it works really well for, for all of those. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to gather intelligence on where elk are. Right? You can, you look at wallows and tracks and, um. <clears throat> but uh, it, it seems to me like like glassing is just the lowest, uh, you know, lo- low output, high results, you know. Um, yeah,
0: well,
1: and I think part of it, Evan, and tell me if if you disagree, but I think part of it is that you're used to hunting country where it's not like the most rugged country on earth, but, but the logistics will eat you up. If you're wasting a lot of time, you know what I mean? Like the logistics will eat up time and they'll eat up your energy. If you're just, if you're just dead set on hunting, like this little, you know, this little hell hole, that's a, that's a six hour backpack hike in. I mean, a lot of guys will do that. And, and sometimes that is the place to be on all these species, but sometimes it's not. And now you've wasted three days, you know? Yep. Yep. So. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. Um, we'll, uh, cause we could talk like hours about this stuff. So we'll kind of jump to another topic, but before we get off of archery elk, um, Jimmy, I know that you've killed a couple bulls in the last uh, few years uh, with your bow too. Um, but before that, you kind of were just getting in it, you know, what do you have different advice for somebody that's just trying to get into the hunting, these over the countery archery elk, you know, what, uh, you know, anything that surprised you when you got into it, or do you have any other tips, tips that, uh, that Evan didn't cover? Yeah. Well, like my, um, you know, working, uh,
2: cause I, I cause I was working, um, in, you know, for you, Cliff, doing the wilderness outfitting. And, um, I think, I think a lot of guys get the, the notion in their head that, that you have to be, um, you know, four, four to 10 miles, um, from any kind of road to be getting into elk and you got to get away from these other hunters um both both of the bulls I shot in the um last couple of years with my bow um it's it's not far from Yeah, where and you they drive a truck.
1: Basically they can um, be in, they can be anywhere. They can be way deep in the wilderness and or they can be they could be close.
2: Who knows? Yeah, right? yeah.
1: Now I mean I don't I don't think you need to be like you're probably
2: not going to shoot one like from, from the road with your bow, but, right. um, like in, like an hours, uh, an hour hike from the truck, um, you're, you're in elk country. Um, and it, it's kind of funny, like when, when I see the guys, um, they're backpacking in and they're, they're like eight miles back. Um, I kind of chuckle, uh, and I know that they've never killed an elk before, um, because they think they're going to backpack in, in elk out eight miles uh, and it can be done, but for, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. 31 and, um, yeah, it's tough those guys. Yeah. it's it's absolutely miserable. Like, like four miles is probably the furthest you want to be backpacking quarters.
1: Yeah. I think, in I my think mind. yeah, I think it comes back to like what the, the brief, inter- the brief discussion me and ever were having too, that. That you know logistics are a big deal. It's like getting the biggest bang for your bucks, like your buck, like logistically, right? We, you know the the fact is, a lot of these over-the-counter, you know, or you know, easier to draw units in Idaho, Colorado, wherever they also get outfitted. Like the area I was I was hunting in in Idaho um, that I mentioned before, like there was an outfitter in there. Um, and he, he you know, he ran a much smaller operation than, than what, what you guys run, um, but he was still dispersing a lot of the pressure, right? Like you could, you could have backpacked three or four hours in and you had been competing with his hunters, right? Um, but at the same time, you didn't, you wouldn't have the logistical advantages that his hunters had, right? To pack out, you know, they can get elk out of there. You know, they're, they're sleeping in there in comfortable wall tents or whatever. So they're going to be able to, you know, get to better glassing spots in there, you know, and, and that pressure dispersed. So I think, I think that's something for, for, you know, guys that are taking on this to think about, we, we nailed it as like, in the end, like you have to find, you, know, you have to find the elk, use, you know, use what you have. to to your advantage and if you're going to go into wilderness areas and backpack up a drainage to the very far back of it where you can't see anything you might get lucky but it's 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 putting you at a little bit of a disadvantage so sounds like that's a pretty good takeaway for guys huh yeah yeah good deal guys well uh um jimmy tell me tell i did i'm in oregon right now i have been the last couple weeks i've been or the last couple few months um I'm totally out of what's going on in uh Colorado right now. what is uh first rifle looking like? Do you guys have snow up on the top or what's the what are the conditions like uh yeah so last last week well i guess on the on the thirtieth of september
2: um we got our first uh real real snowfall um And uh, I don't know, Evan, what do you think? We probably got like six to eight inches.
3: Yeah, up top, probably eight inches.
2: Yeah, up on the top, um, quite a bit of snow. Um, It was all wet snow. And then um, the first few days of October, it was kind of snow, rain, fog each day. Um, And then, I don't know, probably around the 4th or the 5th, the weather started clearing and and, um, getting sunny. I would – I'd be – Yeah, I'm sure that there's some some little snow piles in the dark timber up on top, but uh, for the most part, right now, um, there's not going to be any snow for for first rifle, and it does it doesn't look that way, either.
1: Yeah, I got you. So this is. uh, um, uh, (laughs) I'll I'll be honest, man. Like a dry first rifle was like I dislike that the most of all the rifle seasons. I'm just going to say it um and i don't know what your guys' thoughts are on it um because i think it's just tough hunting you know uh when there's like we talked about when or like what evan was saying with the archery season is particularly areas like the flat tops the habitat in the area that can support elk is insane right so if you don't have anything yet during the rifle seasons to to uh you know to limit that amount of habitat you know you don't have a snow accumulation everywhere it's it's pretty tough. Do you guys have any, any thoughts on people that are driving out there in the next couple of days or they're getting packed in in the next couple of days, you know what, how they should think about first rifle and, and maybe some like last-minute things they should mentally or, or, or just like actually logistically plan out? Do you have any thoughts on that, Jimmy? Yeah. I, so, um, and,
2: and looking at the forecast for, for our area, um it's going to be pretty darn like beautiful fall weather. You know, if you were a road biker, this would be like a great week for you. Um cool mornings and and you know relatively warm afternoons. Um road biking and hunting are two totally different things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As I'm watching a road biker go by. Um, yeah, I you know in a in a cold snowy first rifle season, you know, you you you're probably going to be close to, close to your truck and, um, staying in your wall tent or what, you know, maybe you're in a hotel or whatever. Um, and you, you kind of have this base camp, um, you know, for, for this first, first rifle season, yeah, if it was, if, if it was me, um, with, with a tag in hand, I'd, I'd be bringing stuff, um, to be going out and, and getting, um, further from your base camp. So, so spiking out, um, same thing goes for the guys in, in a drop camp. Getting a little further away, you have that that weather advantage. you don't have to worry about getting soaking wet or um, freezing all night um, weather's gonna be nice, so you can get a little further in or or stay longer um you might not have to uh, leave elk um every night just just sleep out there that would yeah. that would be my my pointer Basically, basically up your logistics game
1: where if you need to yeah you kind of.
2: Yeah, I kind of view it like a lot of guys, um, like backpack archery hunting, right? Yeah, uh, going to go out and, and stay out there. Um The temperatures, yeah, it's you know it's maybe fifteen degrees cooler than it was the the last week of September, but it's nothing um that that you can't bear through.
1: Yeah, no, I got you. I'm going to ask you to you the same question, Evan, because over the years, there's been there's been some tough first rifle seasons where it was like. It was hard hunting, man, and then and then somehow you sh- you and your client showed up with a dead elk, and I was like, "Nice," <laughs> but uh, so but uh, as I I'm gonna ask you the same question, but it, uh, I'm gonna ask it in a little bit different context too. Um, actually, are you are you guiding first rifle, Evan? Uh, it, I am. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I so I think I know where where you where you guys are doing your guided camp uh, this first rifle. And, uh, the last time I guided in there during first rifle, I think it was similar dates. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't like kick forward dates. You know, I know a couple years ago, like we were, we were hunting first rifle on October 10th. I believe the year, the last year I was in there guiding, um, and it's a pretty high elevation, uh, camp. Um, it was probably like, uh, the 14th or 15th of October when we started. And when I was in there, bulls were actually bugling, um, And so I'm just curious, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I I mean, in in that, my experience that, that last hunt there, I didn't use it for anything other than being like, oh, there's elk in that timber that I didn't know were there. That's what I used the, I heard the vocalization, and, and then I just sat there and glassed that timber for like seven hours and finally found them, but um do you have any thoughts like in the context of uh you know are the elk completely done um you know do you do you, uh, give me your recommendations to a first rifle hunter but if you have any comments on you know last little tinge of rut activity or any of that you know fill fill me in on your thoughts on that too
3: it It seems like um uh, uh in in talking about first rifle and calling with the guys um <clears throat> The days of like, and, and I do remember them in my time guiding for for you, Cliff, like back when the dates were a little earlier, every once in a while you would run into a, a legit rutting bull. You know what I mean? Uh, it yeah. was, it was essentially an archery hunt with a gun in hand. Um, I haven't seen that for, for a number of years now. And I think it's just the later dates, but, but you are seeing bulls with cows. And I, I think what happens or what I've noticed, um, some of the, some of the bigger bulls that I've guided have been during first rifle and they've been loners. Um, I, th- I think what happens is those big herd bulls have kind of peeled off of the cows, um, and, and gone their own, you know, gone their own way to their own little holes. Um, and then, and then the the five by fives and the raghorns kind of run in and they're like, look, we got cows, um, whether or not the cows are actually interested in breeding. Um, right. Uh, When when you're seeing groups of elk in first rifle, you know, uh, say a a group of ten cows, it's typically a younger bull with them. Uh, The the big bulls tend to be off by themselves, Uh, but they are receptive. They are receptive to cow calling. uh, Still, it seems like, Um, and I can, you know, thinking back on those years where, like you said, I I pulled a miracle bull out of the hat. Um, a, A lot of times, it was a bull that came to blind cow calling. Um, so I, I'd tell guys not, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to use your calls during first rifle, whether or not you're going to get a bull, um, cranked up and bugling, it, it, that's kind of a crapshoot. Um, but, but they are certainly still, um, um, you know, kind of receptive to cow calls.
1: Yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, and so yeah, I, that's, that's actually that's cool for me to know, man. I never really thought about that. Con- I used to always just to me it was like I I'd hear them bugle and I and I it was probably just a, like a predetermined thought in my mind like oh these are just like last minute or you know just they're just bugling for the hell of it type of thing just because they're trying to keep you know thoughts of the rut going on in their mind. <laughs> but it's interesting <laughs> to hear that. Like you you would have you you'd had some success over the years. Literally like them coming to cow calls and they never vocalized.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I'm actually not one. Jimmy knows I kind of uh, I kind of bash guys for for just blind cow calling for sitting down and being like, "All right, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna squeak a few times." But the, ta-
1: the this first um, rifle time, but, but man, I have
3: I have turned up bulls in first rifle doing just that. Um, so so I can't. Uh, yeah, I, I can't bash it too much, I guess. Yeah, no,
1: I I, I hear you. Um, you know, one thing, and this this will kind of get us into the, well, before we leave First, first Rifle, I, like, one thing, this is my perception, guys, of it. And if I was going to, in these type of conditions where there's not two feet of snow on the top of the plateau, and this would go for any mountain range, not just the flat tops, so there's not... There's not a bunch of snow that's already up there that's limiting habitat that the elk and particularly the bulls as they leave cows can go to. If there's not those conditions, you're talking about highly dispersed elk. To me, it's totally cliche, but one of the main things guys can do is just get mentally prepared to uh, just be persistent and just hunt the whole hunt. Because it's, you know what I mean, that to me, that's probably the like the highest thing that can up your potential for success. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, Jimmy, Evan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like I was, it was funny. Um, I was just talking with one of our first
2: season drop camp hunters, um, last night on my, on my way home from town. Um, and, and he was, um, he's hunting one of our camps. That's not too far from, from a lake and it, and was asking if he should bring his fishing rod and, um, man you know on a 5 day hunt uh during the rifle season um going out fishing and it, it sounds fun and, and it could be like a little um get your mind off whatever but you do need to be out there the whole entire time um the the whole entire uh you know amount of daylight that you have and not probably not be fishing like having one of those bulls you were talking about um that you called in cow calling that was middle of the day probably when most guys are going to be out there out there fishing so yep. Yep. yeah during rifle like during archery season yeah i'd say you know if you wanted to go fishing between the hours and two and three cool go for it during rifle season as guns are going off and guys are trouncing through um you got to be out there and, and taking advantage of those um yeah limited no, i amount of daylight that you have and i don't know cliff if that really answered your your question
1: there. <laughs> no, no yeah no that answers the question man i mean it's you know guys have to put in the time and just and just keep a positive attitude about it and just realize that elk are bumping around a ton a ton of country i mean i'm still gonna nap during those days for 45 minutes or an hour but you know whatever you guys can you guys can me <laughs> yeah that. but, you you, but. <laughs> uh,
2: you, you you might not want to be napping in
1: your wall tent. yeah (laughs) i i I hear you but um no i i think that's that's good advice you know uh let's jump into like the later seasons that guys are going to face and we can we can talk a little bit a little bit about deer too but um on the elk front and and in all addresses towards you uh, uh evan um one thing i learned you know, over the time I spent in, you know, in that, that area, and this is going to go, I think for every area, if somebody spends a lot of time in in an area, they start to realize that there, there really is like, there's, there's summer country, rutting country. And then after that, there's like, to me, at least there's like cow country and there's bull country. Would you, would you agree with that? Or do you, what, what are your thoughts on that, Evan?
3: Yeah, no, totally. Uh yeah, totally. Um I I feel like uh well it it starts with first rifle. Um like I said the the older age class bulls seem to kind of um find holes during first rifle and and get away from the big cow groups. Um uh advancing through October, all the bulls start going to those holes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um and, uh, and, and, and then, and then in the later, later seasons with, with, with weather or whatever, they kind of show up again, but, um, yeah, bowl country is a thing. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's going to be those places that are just, um, that are steep, that are rough, that are, um, a, a little more secluded and that maybe don't have, aren't as high quality in, in terms of feed and stuff, um, as the areas that the cows are lounging around. You know it's it's interesting, um, Evan. I'm 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 about to ask you a hard question, and,
1: and I, I have a I have my own answer for it already already prepared, so I'll put you at a disadvantage. But <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll, I'll I'll preface it with this: it, it's to me, it's a real, it's it's like from a biological perspective, it's confusing because you know you get into like second, third rifle, fourth, you know fourth rifles maybe a little bit different because it seemed like by then you know elk or maybe just in general getting pushed down a little bit if you've got some snow and life gets a little bit easier but you know first rifle second third uh for the most part bulls go to spots where if i was a bull and i'd been you know i'd been wasting all my energy chasing cows and you know getting you know getting beat up and you know had a couple you know uh, um uh, had had guys chasing me with their bows and then starting to chase me with rifles and I've been getting poked by antlers by my buddies and stuff. I wouldn't go to spots that these bulls go to. It's weird to me because my feeling <laughs> of like a, my, my feeling of a bull spot is it's kind of like shitty living, right? Like there's usually sure. a little, there's usually some rock. It's steep and, you know, it's, it's a little, it's steeper than what you're going to see a big cow group laying in. Um, and it's, it's, it's like, why do they, why do they go there? And in, in my mind, it's just like, they, they seclusion is, it dominates their other urges for feed and water. Now, having said that, it might be like a little hole, you know, around, you know, a little, around a chunk of rim rock or something. One thing I do notice is it has to have some feed and it has to have some water, but it might be like it might be like a 200-yard circle of feed in a little shitty yep.
3: seep or something, you know? Um, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with that? It, no, might, totally. It, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, yeah, in fact, you said it really beautifully when you said seclusion trumps all else, right? Because um, it is. It's, it's, it's like, a, you know, they've got a crappy little food source, a crappy little water hole, um, and uh, and nothing else uh, but seclusion. Uh yeah, I mean, I guess in finding in in finding those spots, um, that that's the thing that's the thing to look for, right? Is is does um, is you know would, would a bull would a bull be unbothered here? You know. Yeah. No. I,
1: in in he's got to have his basic needs, but he's, he's unbothered. Do you find in your experience, Evan, that they're they're pretty consistent spots year after year after year?
3: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. And, and, uh, I think you'd talked about it before on, on tough years. Um, I, I end up going through like a little bit of a, little bit of a checklist, like, all right, the, the, um, first I'm going to check the easy places where there could be elk. Right. And then I'm going to, uh, um, kind of open the circle up, um uh, and, and, and just kind of check through these places where historically I've found them. Right. Um, and, uh, for sure. Those those nasty those nasty secluded spots um, consistently produce elk. Yeah, and and I think man like this is
1: one of those that this is one of those things that guys that have like local knowledge where they build up over years. I think it's real powerful, man. Because one thing I've noticed, uh, and both you guys can chime in on it, is bull spots. A lot of time, just the nature of them, they're secluded but they're also hard to glass. Like you have to, if you're going to glass them, you know, like the real rough bull spots, like you're going to have to work to get to the glassing point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's one of those areas. And I, I've noticed that on the, you know, the other side of the highway there uh, in Eagle, where I spent some of my childhood, some of the guys, some of the guys that could, you know, that, that elk herd beat up real bad, but there's still guys over there. You know second or third rifle season rolls around. they're going to go into a little hellhole somewhere and they're going to kill a bull every year. Um, and it's because they know they know these spots, and there's spots where, yeah, they could be really far in, they, some of them are really far in, some of them are close to you know main roads, but um, you cannot you have to work to be able to see in them. and I, I feel like yeah. bull spots in particular like if a guy has that knowledge, um, he, should, he number one, he should hold them tight because I think you can, you know, <laughs> these, these bulls, like a, a couple bulls will go into a spot and then, you know, the next bulls that start hanging out with them, will go in there too. But it might be just a couple bulls that come there every year or whatever. If they, if they get shot, like it's over for a little bit, you know, but, but anyways, um, it's just like having that knowledge base and, and, you know, keeping a catalog of that in your brain, if you're hunting the same areas, man, I think that's, I think that's huge. Um, I, I think people way underestimate, you know, what, what bulls will do. I, and I used to see what's weird to me is that these spots we're talking about, I used to observe elk in the winter, you know, Evan, and they, if, if we had like a, like a melt off or there just wasn't a harsh winter, there wasn't big snow ac- accumulation, they'll go back in them. You know, they'll go, yeah, they'll go yeah, right. back up high into those, into those spots. It's just, they, they don't want, they, I don't know if they don't want to be around. They just don't want any pressure or whatever, you know? Um, it,
3: it's, I'm not a shed hunter, but um, I, I pick up sheds when I find them. Right. And some of the, some of the best sheds I've found are at, you know, ten four while I'm archery hunting, you know? Um, yeah. It's it nuts. It's nuts to think what a bull Uh, living at that elevation in April, what his life might be like. I I, I think they're masochists too, man. I think they are I mean, I just think it's (laughs) – I I, I mean, they – yeah,
1: dude, it's an enigma to me, like why they would make it so rough on themselves. I mean, it's not – I mean, I shouldn't call it enigma. We're talking about elk that get hunted hard. If they didn't do what they're doing, they'd they'd end up dead, right? So. So maybe what we're talking about is is kind of unique to to this type of elk, um, but I don't think so. I think I, I I think part of it is just that seclusion is is key is uh, key to them, you know. Um, yeah,
3: and, that's, yeah. and for way. sure after whatever after years of doing it and and finding elk in the same sort of places, you, you for sure have like um, um, specific spots, but it also helps you build a little bit of a. Um, Oh, it it lets you it lets you map out what the right type of spot looks like, and and finding others elsewhere, you know.
1: Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the the way I describe it is like, and it sounds so funny when a guy says it. Like I would say it, and the minute I said it, I'd be like, that sounded so goofy. But if you say, like, oh, like that, like that little spot looks like bully, or it looks elky, or it looks, you know, that looks like that looks yeah. like big, like that looks like big buck country. Like that's not. Like, once you get the intuition, it's not like you're pulling that out of your
3: butt. It's like your brain is just... Yeah, yeah, like, if it's coming looks... from a place of experience, it's like... Uh, I, I tell Jimmy this all the time. It's like a quip of mine. Field and stream knowledge, right, is is stupid. It's the worst type of knowledge you can have. <laughs> um, the, the best knowledge is stuff that you have lived and seen and experienced and learned. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I think there's... I, I totally agree. I and mean, I think part of it is, is that we're, what happens is our brain is like a supercomputer. We just don't acknowledge it. And there's a bunch of stuff that it's integrating that we can't verbalize. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yep. yeah. Yep. It, it, and, uh, so, uh, it sounds a little woo, woo but yeah, your gut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. your my gut feels like it's, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, uh, I hear you. But anyways, guys, I think that covers, uh, some of that. Let's uh, you know, we've been uh, we've been going here pretty far. There's a couple other topics I, I for sure want to touch on. Um I've got a question and, and I'll start with you, uh Evan. So this question, guys, it's gonna sound like it's kind of guided hunter-centric, but I think it'd be applicable to, to to everybody that's going out west. Um, but in the context of what you guys have been doing for the last five, six, seven, eight years, you know, guiding hunters, whenever you start hunting with a new client. What what's like a trait that pops out pretty early on that makes you feel confident that like okay this is this I feel like this client's going to be you know above average in terms of potential success are there are there a couple specific traits that pop up to you that you see that that seem to indicate that Uh, go for it, Jimmy?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think um, like uh, I think everyone wants to hear um, that it's going to be um, physical fitness that like the guys owns a CrossFit gym. Um, that's probably not the case. It's the guy with a good attitude. And a lot of times it's not even, um, you know, I mean, he might be great to hang out with, but like, um, low expectations. Um, they seem to enjoy the hunt more. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just going out with like a clear mind every day and no pressure on themselves. They're the ones that usually are gonna, um, are going to get it done. The guys that are putting a bunch of pressure on themselves and, um, you know, they can keep up with Evan and, and myself in the woods. Um, they're the ones that, that sometimes go home empty handed. Uh, and there's a, uh, you know, like a 70 year old that's 60, 70 pounds overweight in camp. Um, He's just been crushing it all day, um and he's not gonna get discouraged uh you'd be surprised at how many – well you wouldn't cliff but maybe the listeners how many guys that are in shape um are gonna go home early because they're they're discouraged
1: right yeah no i i to- totally agree with that uh evan
3: do you have uh do you have a different one yeah i I mean Jimmy nailed it for sure like like just positive attitude um and uh and and i'd go even further and say like like kind of confidence the guys the guys that tend to be confident um in in what they're able to do what no matter how limited that is um uh the guys that operate with like just a positive attitude and some confidence are are the ones that i know i know will not to tag for
2: yeah Uh, and I'll, (laughs) i'll add one more thing on that cliff uh, like the guys that are coming out with the same with the same rifle that they've been using um since they since they started whitetail hunting. Um man, I'm a lot more confident in those guys <laughs> than the the guys that went out and and have a you know, an eight, ten thousand dollar um hunting setup. Um Yeah, well
1: sometimes those those guys just don't know how to use it. Yeah, it's just time, right? Like they don't, they haven't. Like I always tell the the story, man. About uh, and, and you guys may have met, uh, may remember him. His name is Anthony. Um, I haven't yeah, kept, him, I yeah. kept in touch with him for years, but he was actually a chicken farmer. So, Anthony, if you're out there, uh, uh, shoot me a message, man. I really enjoyed hunting with you, but uh, just really low key guy. Every I think and I think I'm going to tell the story because I think it embraces what you guys are talking about. Like every time I walked into the lodge that guy was smiling, man. Like he was ready to go hunting and he was smiling. Cause it was like, that was a good day. Didn't matter if we killed the buck that day or not. Like it was a good day. And, uh, is exactly what you're talking about. Really low key guy, basic gear. Um, but you know, shooting a rifle that was probably 25 years old, basic scope on it. And, uh, I remember it was like, you know, 20 minutes before dark and, we were struggling. It was a fourth season hunt. There's no snow. You know, he had burnt a bunch of points on the tag. I felt a lot of pressure, you know, but the guy was just happy every day, 20 minutes before the last day, you know, we had a buck start. We happened to look over and see a buck just walking straight away from us, probably like 350 yards. And he's like, he's like, I'd like to take that buck. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. And with that old rifle, man, that buck turned his head looked at us and he shot the buck right in the neck. like. Was like a, it was amazing, like from 300 yards. And just like, but he just immediately sat down, got a rest. The buck turned his head. Did, the buck didn't even turn broadside. And like, now knowing what I know about the guy and like his experience, like the shot he took was perfectly ethical because he shot like exactly where he was shooting with, with like 10 seconds, man. Like, literally neck on a straightaway shot and just dropped the buck. And this was like, wow, like I would have never. Every, you know, indicator about gear and everything else wouldn't have, you know, told me that, that that was going to be possible or occur. And yeah, that, that happens more often than not, you know, just a guy that's like confident with his stuff and, and he's had fun and, and we had a good hunt, but like that positive attitude too, he, he embraced. And, you know, I think Evan, actually the last, uh, the last, the last time me and you actually spent time hunting, uh, uh,
3: David's like that, you know? Yeah, um, totally. Da- David was just, he was just out here for a bear hunt and, uh, he embodies that for sure. Just, just wakes up every day, excited to go puts, puts absolutely zero pressure on himself. He, he, he's, I mean, the, by the, when he shows up for the hunt, he's already enjoying it. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, that's probably, that's probably the takeaway for listeners is, is you can like, you can be that guy with the positive attitude and the confidence, um, uh, uh, focus on, on just enjoying the hunt. It sounds so simple, but, um, it, it just enjoying yourself makes you a more effective hunter. Yeah, no, well, I totally, I totally agree guys. Um, I think that's a great piece
1: of advice to, to leave, uh, folks with, um, before we get off here, I, uh, I want to give you guys, um, you know, a chance. Is there, is, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to talk about or any other you know tips for guys that are that are coming out here before we jump to a t- kind of a closing topic you, do you have anything jimmy uh no i mean my normally if this was like um
2: august i'd say start start doing some hiking if you haven't done yeah. any hiking yet, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah it's too late don't even worry about it um, just get in your truck and drive out uh yeah. make sure you got your got your tags uh, with you
1: um
2: yeah other than that now. Yeah, the basics,
1: man, at this point, just, just come out with a with a good attitude on stuff. How about you, Evan?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh man, it it's uh you, you hit it right there at the end. I think uh uh come out and enjoy yourself, right? And and you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how effective you'll be as a hunter if you're if you're waking up happy to be here every day.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the key of it. It's not like we're not talking about Like come out and be a lazy hunter. Like I think we've all seen that too. (laughs) We're like come out, have a good attitude, but the attitude is like I'm going to get out, hunt every day, but I'm going to enjoy every minute of this, regardless of the end state of the deal. Um, and like you say, I think you're totally right, Evan. It it makes you, it makes hunters just more effective. That I mean, that's absolutely the case, man. When I look at the data set that all three of us experienced over, over you know we're talking hundreds of hunts guys like that's for sure like the standout you know what i mean like the guys that stand out to me is successful you know guided hunters but this absolutely applies to i mean we all know guys that that you know do-it-yourself hunted too that we've we've interacted with over the years or they were guys that you guided with or, or whatever it's the same thing it's like they're enjoying the experience but they use that as a motivation to really be a much more effective hunter. Um, so I think that's a, a huge takeaway. Um, Jimmy, I want, I know that you guys, you know, outside of the elk, um, the elk and deer and the, and the bears we are already talked about in September, I know that, uh, you guys acquired a new, a new business this fall. Um, and it's a lot of the country that me and you, um, used to guide sheep and goats in. Uh, so I want you to just give, give everybody, uh, a little insight on that maybe maybe you know tell us what how that went over there in terms of the goat and goat and sheep hunting um and uh so go for it man let me know what the what the word is on that and then also guys if you got any any hunts that you know these guys should be you know any openings or anything that people should consider you can you can let us let me know that too and let the listeners know Okay. That was, that was a lot of stuff. I'll try to, I'll try to hit all <laughs> I will, I have a way of doing that, dude. Just unload the <laughs> conversation on you. So if you, if you get to part of it, that's all right, Jimmy. Go for it, man.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, so we, we, we recently purchased Horn Fort Guides, um, which is based out of Buena Vista. Um, we, we purchased it from, from Joe Boucher, um, who will hopefully be staying on it and continue to do some guiding for us in the future. Um, it's a, it's a big, um, so it's a large goat and sheep permit, which is really cool for, for us. Um, cause we're, we're going from, um, a lot of elk and deer hunting here in the flat tops. And now we're able to expand and, and do a lot more goat, um, goat and sheep hunts. And then, uh, one of the other really cool aspects on this new permit, um, is, is it's not over the counter. So it's, um, some of the units are, you know, zero to three points. Um, and then one of the other areas on the permit is a really trophy unit. So it's unit 49. And for um, the listeners out there, 49, you know, is going to take, um, almost 10 points. I think it's seven points for an archery tag. And then you're close to like 15 for a muzzleloader and first rifle season tag for non-residents. Um, so, so it is a trophy, trophy unit. And that's where, um, uh if guys want to go you know maybe they've already shot a bull and it's a little raghorn and they want to try to get a 300 inch bull that might be um a good a good option for for those hunters um and then on the sheep and goat front um it's uh E2 um 3 uh I feel like I'm missing another one in there um and then sheep units uh S sixty six, S sixty seven,
3: uh Yeah, just a bunch of units like a bunch of yeah in the Collegiate Peaks
2: area. Um so did a bunch of sheep and goat hunts over there. Um did uh did really well on, on those hunts um this year. Uh again those are those those for the listeners. Um a lot of years of applying um but there's a there's a randomness to the to the draw so as long as you are putting in you you at least have a chance um and then For sure and, and guys cool you know, things, one,
0: and sorry i didn't
1: mean to cut you off jimmy but we have one of my uh recommendations to listeners if you've got you know goat or sheep points accumulated or or even moose point moose points um you know, one of the things, like, before you get to this next year's draw, you really should call a guy like Danny, call a guy like, like Evan, um, and just, this, like, these guys are exposed to a bunch of units, and they probably have a little, you know, I always felt like if you have guided the unit before, you know, particularly on sheep, you kind of know what's in there, and the stats, the Colorado, like, stats, they don't necessarily indicate the reality of these these sheep herds, you know, they're, they're little microcosms. Um, And so um, it helps before you draw to call a guy like Jimmy and and discuss these, just so you're putting in for, uh, for what you think you're putting in for. Uh, Sorry for cutting you off. Yeah, no, and
2: that, I mean, that is, that is a good point. Uh, On on goats, is pretty much um, some units have a little bit better quality and we're talking like eight and three eighths versus eight and three quarters uh, Billy, so it's negligible, but on the sheep, it is, it is a big deal. Um, if your goal is to shoot a 170 inch sheep, you know, S67 probably is not the, not the unit to put in for. Um, if you want to draw the tag sooner than later and you're in good physical, physical shape, S67 is the tag for you. Um, anyway, Uh, So, yep, super, super excited about um, Horn Fort Guides. And again, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides and Horn Fort Guides is underneath the the parent company, LKS Outfitters. Um, And then another um, kind of daughter business of LKS that um, we're just in the very beginning phases of is uh, we're starting a, a guide school called Wilderness Guide School. Um, the website is not active yet, but it'll be wildernessguideschool.com. Um, and really, the the goal of of this guide school um, for any listeners out there, um, it is going to be a you know very intensive school. Um, can be you know two to two and a half times longer than any of the guide schools out there, um, just because three four weeks is not enough time to get to get someone up to speed and be a good candidate for an outfit um, and we're we're very fortunate to have amazing staff like Evan being an instructor um, Mark who's our head packer Cliff you know Mark super well um, probably the best packer in all of Colorado uh, being these instructors so super pumped for for that new uh, new venture next year.
1: That'll be uh, awesome, and you guys have you guys you guys have a really unique uh, facility there to to do that. Um, I always thought that would be a great business to to get into. Um, yeah, and you know
2: with our with our diversity in in permits, um, you know the students will be able to go um, and go horsebacking through Flat Tops, go horsebacking through Collegiate Peak Wilderness, um, and be looking at sheep and goats. Um, i don't I don't think that there's too many outfitters out there that that have such a a broad um collection of species that that you can go look at um super easy like that
3: but yeah you know. no that'll be
1: that'll be awesome good deal guys well hey i uh it was great catching up with you guys um everybody asked me if i if i miss it in the in life's been so um so crazy i haven't really thought about it a whole lot but I, i'd be i'd be lying if the last couple of weeks i didn't i didn't uh, have a little nostalgia for being being up in the wilderness so um it's great to catch up with you guys you, you know, i'm sure you know they can go just flat top wilderness guides. is still the website right jimmy yep 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 then they do that i think you guys you guys still got the instagram going so people can follow you there and then um yeah, guys, thanks a lot for being on. If guys uh, want to follow me, they can follow me at, at my, my Instagram's CliffGRY. And then you can follow me and subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Cliff Gray. But anyways, guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe out there. Yeah, thanks
3: for having us on, Cliff. Hey, thanks, Cliff. Good catching up with you.
1: Yeah, of course, man. Thanks.